Support for today's podcast episode comes from RxBar. Visit rxbar.com forward slash elevator and use the promo code elevator for 25% off your first order. Recovery Elevator episode 179. And just giving things more time. I am in that culture of wanting results really fast and just being okay with results not coming fast, especially in sobriety because they don't come fast. So being okay with the slow journey and just taking it as it comes. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Kelsey. She's from Phoenix, Arizona. She's been sober since March 15th, 2018. And in her interview, she talks about letting the past die. It's a great one, so stay tuned. Before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator Podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. I want to talk to you guys today about fear and problems. They're both there and they're both never going away. I know that sounded grim and I promise you this will be a positive and uplifting podcast, but we got to cover some stuff first. Now let's take a look at problems for a second. Imagine a hypothetical world where you could just take all your problems off the table. In fact, if you're a Trailer Park Boys fan, imagine Ricky taking a hockey stick and just wiping all your problems off the hood of your car. That would be pretty nice, right? Cool. Yeah. All that stuff that's holding you down at this very moment, just gone. Imagine how liberating that would feel. Perfect. But only in a matter of time, one by one, a new problem would be placed back on your plate. In fact, that's why a lottery winners, they don't usually fare very well because money can remove some problems in their life, but then all those problems come back just at a much more grandiose scale. Same thing with fear. Just think about it for a second. Think about a time in the past when you were really scared of something and you were able to take action to mitigate those fears, but eventually more fears came. Now, when I quit drinking on September 7, 2014, I thought it was going to be a panacea. I thought all my fears, my problems, all the issues that were holding me back in life would simply go away. Physically, a lot of those problems did go away. I lost weight. I felt tremendous physically. I had this pink cloud for about eight to 10 months. Mentally, I did start to feel somewhat better. There were faculties in my brain that were coming back online. Again, you got to get through the post-acute withdrawal symptoms, which I like to call healing symptoms. But all of those faculties come back online and eventually you'll even out to reach a new homeostasis. Once that happens, you're just there. You're not drinking. You've eliminated the toxins, the shit in your life, but you're still left with fear and problems. I have decided to take a new approach on how I'm going to deal with my fears. But before I explain that, I'm going to tell you my old approach. Imagine myself in my house right before I'm going outside to start the day. 
I would be having a conversation with my heart and my soul, and this is how it would go. Okay, Paul, here's what's going to happen. Um, our fears at this time of day are usually behind that set of bushes right there. So we've got about six seconds to run and get in our car, turn it on, get the fuck out of Dodge as quickly as possible. That's basically running away from my fears. And I like to think I faced my fears in sobriety, and in ways I did. But here's the new approach. And I have made a conscious effort to implement this new strategy, and I've even made a conscious effort to pass the memo along to the unconscious part of the brain. That new strategy looks like this. I just stop. Just stop. Stop and turn around. Do a 180. Just stop, turn around, take the flashlight, turn it on, and look at your fears. One of my favorite books from Pema Chodron titled When Things Fall Apart, she describes in her book when someone in the book does just this. Now through meditation, I've been working on this a lot. I just stopped, took the flashlight, looked at my fears, and Imagine a hypothetical world where you can actually do this. Now, this is going to take some imagination and creativity, but imagine a world where you can do just that. You can just stop running, stop walking briskly, stop moving forward, just stop, turn around, and face your fears. Now, further along in this alternate reality, we can also make a decision. We have the choice of how we deal with our fears. Fears, for me, had the capability of ruining my life. I know that sounds extreme, but it does. Fear, future events appearing real, which are not here yet, had the power, and it could still have the power if I don't keep this in check to ruin my day, my week, and my life. So imagine in this world having a conversation with your fears. In my meditation, I was able to see that my fears actually had fears. Wow, that's kind of weird. You're telling me that my fears have fears? Once I saw this, I was able to almost have compassion for my fears. Look at it through a completely different lens. And if we move a couple steps forward, imagine hanging out with your fears. Imagine pulling up a chair, saying, Okay, fears, I'm aware that you're not going away. I've been trying to make this happen for 36 years. Just pull up a chair. I'm tired of running. And then take it a step further. What's your favorite movie? Hmm? Lion King for me comes to mind. Imagine watching the movie Lion King with your fears. Great movie. I think my fears would like it too. Imagine playing a friendly game of kickball or flag football with your fears. Fierce competition during the game. After the game, high fives. Good job, fears. Nice game. I know you're not going anywhere. I'm looking forward to the next friendly match. So fear was that unease in my stomach when something didn't go as planned. Fear played the false narrative. You know, when I complete this, then I'll be able to relax. Or if my problems were to suddenly go away, everything will be kosher. Fear has nudged me with an elbow for as long as I can remember, promising that some point in the future, when X, Y, and Z are accomplished, we will be okay. So, unconscious brain, this is my conscious brain speaking, we're done with that. We are not done with our fears because that's not possible, but we are done letting our fears run our life. Fears, I will give you credit, you are sneaky, you are smart, you are intelligent, you are capable. You have the ability to sneak up in my life at any moment, create a false narrative, create a plan or something that just is not really going to happen, and I'd roll with it. <laughs> so fears, if my fears have fears, and I'm pretty sure my fears have a smartphone, so fears, go ahead and download this podcast. It's coming out on, uh, let's check the date here, uh, I'm thinking July 23rd. Um, and fears, if possible, I know this is kind of been about you, but uh, if, if you wouldn't mind leaving a five-star review, fears, that would be great. 
um, you know, like you said, your fears have fears. This actually might be a good thing to tell, uh, you know, send this podcast episode to your fears. See what I'm doing here, guys. <laughs> I'm kind of having fun with my fears. I've got a choice. Fears, they could suck, which they kind of do at times. That's fine, but they don't have to be that bad. I'm going to embrace my fears. And before we hear from Kelsey, let's hear from today's sponsor, RX Bar. It turns out real food ingredients actually taste really good. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's definitely an RX Bar for you. RX Bars come in 14 delicious flavors, and here's just a few of them. Mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate sea salt, which is my personal favorite. In fact, RX Bar sent me a sample pack, and this one was my favorite by far. Okay, they're all good, but chocolate sea salt is incredible. RX Bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. There's no artificial colors, no artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. RX Bars are great for a number of occasions, like breakfast on the go, a snack at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump. Toss one in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike. RX Bars make great pre- and post-workout snacks. So I've had about a dozen brands support the Recovery Elevator podcast. And to be honest with you, RX Bar is one that I continually order online. And right now, my listeners of the Recovery Elevator podcast can get 25% off the first order. Just go to rxbar.com forward slash elevator and then enter the promo code elevator for 25% off your first order. Again, that's rxbar.com forward slash elevator and enter the promo code elevator at checkout for 25% off your first order. And hey, RxBar, if you're listening, we're going to need the Recovery Elevator Retreat in Peru this year, sponsored by RxBar. We're going to get pretty famished on the Inca Trail, and we're going to need a lot of chocolate sea salt bars, just to let you know. Okay, and now let's hear from Kelsey. Kelsey, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Paul? Yeah, Kelsey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get right into this. Kelsey, how long have you been sober? 94 days. 94 days. And before I hit record, you mentioned that was March 15th of this year. Nice job. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, Kelsey, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? I am 26. I'm originally from Sandy, Utah, and I moved to Phoenix, Arizona about eight years ago now. I have a significant other. I've been with him for about six years. I have two dogs. I manage a coffee shop for my day job, and then when I go home, I run my handmade clothing business. I make clothing for women and children. Everything's handmade to order, so I'm a very busy person. My favorite thing to do is sewing. I love sewing. I like to be outdoors a lot. I play soccer and I play hockey. Those are two of my favorite things to do. And yeah, that's about it. Nice. And you mentioned Sandy, Utah. Is that what, you're, that what you said? Yeah. Where, yeah, Sandy, Utah. Yeah, that's where I lived for 12 years. First 12 years of my life. Sandy, Utah, right next to Draper. I went to Lone oh, Peak awesome. Elementary School, Indian Hills, and I would have gone okay. to Alta. Did you, were you close to okay. Sandy or close to those places? Yeah, I actually, I went to Jordan High School. We played Alta High School a lot in soccer. Yeah. So yeah, very, cool. very close. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that sewing, uh, that, that sounds so healthy and therapeutic. Right. It it really is. It's been yeah. That's definitely my new therapy now. Instead of drinking when I get upset or emotional, sewing is definitely my go-to thing. So it's it's been great. I love it. Awesome. And do you, do you play ice hockey or roller hockey? Ice hockey. There we go. Yeah. What's the scene down? Yeah. What's the scene like down there in Phoenix? Uh, it's not too big because it's so hot out here, but it's getting there. It's 
pretty expensive to play because you have to play in such air-conditioned areas, but it's not too bad. I just play, started playing about four years ago. I grew up playing soccer, so that's my main sport. So hockey was definitely a new thing for me to learn. Yeah, I love ice hockey. I've been doing it for – I played two years in high school, and I took about 10 years off, and I picked it up again. Such a healthy sport. It helps me get through the winter time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. That's definitely. so cool you play hockey. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, Kelsey, let's back it up a bit. You're 26 years old, which is such yeah. a great age to get sober. A lot of people, you say, what's your yeah. regret when it comes to sobriety? They'll say, oh, well, I wish I did it sooner. So nice job, Kelsey. In your mid-20s, you got a lot Thank of time you. in front of you. Yeah, let's back it up. When did you, you know, What was it like when you first started drinking, and when did you see the shift happen? Oh, okay. So I started drinking a little bit in high school, but nothing crazy. I was always really scared of it. I'm an only child, so all pressure's on me. My mom, like, cemented in my head that drinking was bad. So I just tried it a little bit here and there in high school. And then I moved to Phoenix when I was 18 by myself. I just wanted to try something new. And that was pretty hard on me. I did not drink, though. I didn't start drinking. I actually developed an eating disorder in the beginning. So that was probably for the first two or three years when I was living in Arizona. I was by myself. It's a lot harder to make friends than you think it is when you move somewhere new. So I didn't have a, a lot of friends. My mom was still in Utah. So I, that was my addiction was my eating disorder. And then I eventually got over that, and I guess I transitioned into alcohol. I had an ID from a friend before I was 21, so I was able to get it. And I don't even remember the first time I started drinking, over-drinking. I just remember going home after work when I was 20 and, buying a bottle of wine and drinking some here and there, and then it slowly progressed. And then I was pre-gaming before I went out with friends, and I got a DUI when I was 20, so before I was 21. And in Arizona, they're very strict about DUIs. Mm -hmm. And it was at a checkpoint, and I blew, I think it was like a .27. It was really high, and I weighed like 115 pounds. So it was really high for me. Yeah, you went big. Uh, I was, yes. So I was very, very lucky that I didn't hurt myself and didn't hurt anyone else. So they pulled me over and made me do the test in town in my car and then got me a cab home. And then I had to go into Tent City. I think maybe a lot of people have heard about what Tent City is in Arizona. And it's jail, but it's outside, so you're sleeping in tents. So they just really want to scare you and cement it in your head. So I did that whole thing. I got an interlock in my car, had to do house arrest. And I stopped drinking for a little while, then started up again. And then it got pretty bad where I was drinking for every single emotion, happy, sad, anxious. I used to be very, very anxious. I was in the beginning of a relationship with my now significant other, and I didn't used to trust anything he did. I also wasn't very confident in myself, and I projected that onto him. So I used to just drink a lot because I would feel anxious and sad. And then we broke up, and it got pretty bad. And I was drinking every day for a while, and then I started to drink a lot, going through bottles of whiskey. And I woke up one day. And felt the normal bad hangover, but it didn't go away all day. And I started to get really bad tremors, and I started to hallucinate, and it still didn't go away. It was like 8 at night, and I'm like, holy shit, I think I might die. And so I called – my mom was on a business trip at that point. I was now – she had moved to Arizona, and I was now living with her. And so I called my then ex-boyfriend and said, I need you to come get me and take me to the hospital. I'm having withdrawals. And so he took me to the hospital, and they – gave me drugs and then someone came in the room and said hey we need you to sign up to go into this place called a it was called aurora and it's for people with drug addiction and alcohol addiction and if they're thinking about committing suicide so then i had to go there 
for a few days and then come out and I did outpatient therapy for a while. Hang on, can you give us bad, I, can you give us years? Like how when was this? Or like how old were you and when was this? Yeah. Four years ago. Okay, so, so you're you're twenty two at this moment. Okay. Yeah, I'm twenty two at this point. So it it had taken a couple years to get to that point. Gotcha. But yeah, I was about twenty two and get out of there, did the outpatient treatment and I am a perfectionist type of person, so I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to drink the whole time. I've got this. And I did it. I was very proud of myself because a lot of people in there had a couple of slips, and I didn't. So I was proud of myself. But I came out. I didn't really follow the whole AA thing. And so I slowly started to get back into drinking a little bit. And since then, it's been like on and off, trying different programs. And so this has been a couple of times I've tried to get sober now. Yeah, and, and back it up a bit. How come you think you didn't really try the AA thing? I wasn't a fan of it because they said you had to believe in God in order for it to work for you, and I didn't at the time. I just didn't know anything about myself. I was very lost, so that was hard for me. So I didn't try to go to AA. I didn't really do anything because I just didn't drink. I basically just white-knuckled it the whole time. Now I go back. I'm in AA now, and someone had said to me, just make it your own God. It doesn't oh, have to be this I knew where man this, in the sky. Yeah, I knew where the sentence yeah. was going. And I've, I've got it. Um, yeah. at the end of step three is uh, as we understood him. So I'm I'm glad you right. also recognize that part as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I actually want to back it up a little bit. So you, you mentioned the eating disorder. How old were you when that yeah. happened and then when you phased out of that? Was that 18 to 20 about? I probably, yeah, 18 to ni- or 19 is when it started. And then... Probably about 20 is when it stopped. Okay. And then you mentioned something which is, which I wrote down is you said it transitioned into alcohol. Can you, yes. yeah. Can you spend a little bit of time and, and chat about that transition? Cause it sounds like kind of one addiction went into another addiction. What was your take on it? What was it like for you? I, at the time, I don't think I was aware of it. This, this time around of my sobriety, I've, really tried to reflect a lot because I just want to learn a lot about myself and my relapses. So I think I went to therapy a little bit for the eating disorder, but the one therapist I had wasn't the nicest. She thought I was too messed up. And so that freaked me out and I didn't go back to therapy. So I kind of just did it on my own and with a little bit of help from family and my friends. So I think I didn't really recover fully from that and so I found something else to make me feel a little bit better unfortunately it was alcohol mm-hmm. so I think it I, like a slippery slope I don't really exactly remember when it happened but yeah it just was a slow transition gotcha and it's the transition it's the the addiction whack-a-mole that I've personally played and been a part of and unless we get to the real root cause that's unfortunately the way these addictions play out yeah like we nip nip this in the butt and then a couple months later a year later it shows up in a different aspect in our life. But yeah, and so you mentioned right. the last couple of years you've, you've made attempts to quit drinking and you know, what were those attempts and what were the pitfalls? Attempts, just going cold turkey and just trying to be sober on my own and that never really worked. And then within the last year, I was just trying to find some program because I still wasn't into AA. So I found moderation management and it got on that website. The only thing I didn't like was they didn't have meetings, so I didn't really keep me all that accountable. But I hang tried on, that, and they suggest- so go. Yeah. I, you just said moderation management, and 874 yes. listeners' ears just perked. I'm kidding. I don't know that exact number, <laughs> but there is the, there's an obsession of an alcoholic yes. 
to return to a normal drinker. And I've asked the question, you know, is there any moderation techniques or strategies that have worked And all your episode 179, 179 people have said no. So describe moderation <laughs> management and did it work for you? <laughs> Let's see if we can break the streak. So, yes. <laughs> so I, it's a forum and a lot of people are on there trying to figure out the same thing you're trying to figure out. They have a workbook as well. And oh, so I God. bought the workbook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I tried it. I was like, I'm going to go full force into this. So I tried it and they suggest that you do a 30 day sobriety. But, but I was like, I'm going to do 60 days cause I could do this. Oh yeah. So go I for did it, girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's the kind of person I am. So I was like, I'm going to do 60 days and I did it and I did the workbook and they give you different rules that you're supposed to follow and a drink limit. And I did that for a little while. I never did the rules. Like, I never reflected on how the drinks made me feel because I just was – the second I had a drink, I was, like, obsessed. Like, okay, in the next hour, I can have a drink. And, like, looking at the clock – and I waited that hour, but it was a miserable hour. And then it slowly became where I was sneaking drinks in between. And it was, like, a good thing for the alcoholic person because – if I'm moderating, then I already smell like alcohol. Uh So no one really knows how much I'm drinking. So I would just slowly started drinking a little bit more than I was supposed to. And I just never put the rules in place. That is just way too hard for me. And that's just not how my alcoholic brain worked. And so I tried that. And within the last year or two, I tried to program a little bit. And I was having, I call them episodes when Wait, I was going to binge when you for like say a week. Program moderation management program or 12 steps? The moderation okay, management okay. program. Okay, keep going. And so it'd be about, my mom was keeping track. I didn't know this until recently, but she was keeping track of my episodes. And so it'd be about every four months is when it would just go out the window. And that's when I was like on a week binge of drinking just as much as I used to. And then I would try the program again with a different style and it just never, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. And a lot of the people on the website, it didn't seem to work for them either. And even the lady that started moderation management, she has a really devastating story. So it's a pretty, it's, it's hard. Oh. It didn't work for me personally. Maybe it would for someone Jesus. else, but just for me, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And listeners, I'm not trying to make a point here with this, this question that I've asked everybody, do you put any rules in place? Whatnot? We don't need to ask that question because you just covered it. You know, there might be something foundational that I'm missing that, you know, maybe the next year of my recovery, I'll be like, Oh, that's what the, you know, that's what we're shooting for. I don't know. I don't know, but I have not personally. And with you, Kelsey, uh, that's two of us and 178 other people. And apparently the founder of the moderation management program, it didn't end well for, however, this is a pivotal part or a paramount part of my journey as well. I had to nip all those thoughts in my mind in the butt that I can't drink normally just like one is too many a thousand is not enough okay now what i surrender so it sounds like you went through that phase as well the workbook didn't work the wheels would come off once every four weeks or four months something like that Um, your mom was keeping track yeah what was it like after that phase was done i guess yeah that was 94 days ago it was i was just tired just like everyone says they're just tired it in the beginning it used to be fun because i would drink just for daily mundane things and I would drink when I would travel not too much I wouldn't black out but then it became I just was passing out and blacking out and just drinking to go back to bed and it's like what is the point of this anymore it's not fun I'm not up and out and doing things so it just became sitting on the couch and drinking and that alone is just very sad I'm a very busy person in my daily life I 
go to a day job, I come home and I sew and I do that same thing over and over. So sitting for a week and just drinking was very, very hard for me when I became sober again. No kidding. And, and, and what do you, why do you think at the end you sat and drank for a week? I've thought about that a lot. And for me, like I said, I'm a busy person. I don't relax very much besides like when I go play soccer, I go outdoors, but just to take a day off from making orders for my customers, it's very hard for me. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like how your body waits to get sick for when you don't have anything to do. Like you go on vacation and then all of a sudden you have the flu. It's almost like that. It's like my brain was like, okay, we're going to go on a binge because you're not going to relax otherwise. So we're going to make you relax. And unfortunately it wasn't the flu, it was alcohol, but it's almost like that's what my brain was doing to me was forcing Mm. me to relax in an unhealthy way. Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, we've heard on the podcast people are being sick and tired of being sick and tired. The hamster wheel of addiction is exhausting. Was that yeah. what it was, or did you have a rock-bottom moment 94 days ago? 94 days ago, I don't. it wasn't much of a rock-bottom, just being guilty and mad at myself. But the day that I went to my boyfriend, he plays in a band, I went to a show, and I just planned on having a couple beers. And I don't know what happened that night. It was a Sunday. And then I just kept drinking. I went home, I kept drinking. And then I woke up and I was hungover. So I felt guilty and I didn't want to feel guilty. So then I kept drinking again. And it just went into a full week thing. And I had to house it actually, my boss's house. And so my mom was supposed to go on a business trip and she canceled her business trip, came and got me, took me to my boss's house. And then I drank their alcohol. I... I actually tried to Postmates alcohol, but they ID you at the door. And I was like, I don't want my mom to know. So it was just a very sad, sad downhill thing. But it, it wasn't anything crazy. Like, I didn't get in a car accident or anything like that, luckily. Sure, sure. It, it sounds exhausting. And, it's, and it sounds like it had every reason to quit drinking. But what was what was the mindset? You know, being sick and tired of being sick and tired isn't enough. There had to been some, like, clarity or a breakthrough of, like, look, this – this is not fitting with the plan of my life. This has to stop. I think that I started to reflect about my dream and what I want to do in life. And I really want to get my clothing company off the ground. And that's my main dream. That's what I want to do. And if I'm drinking, I'm not doing that. I'm just pushing myself further and further backwards. So I started to think, what do you actually want to do in life? Do you want to work at a coffee shop forever and drink your way to death? Or do you want to follow your dream and be sober and be happy. And so I really had to think about that question and I chose the happiness route. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second, Kelsey. (laughs) That that just shows you how, how insane this disease of alcoholism is because you're like, I had to really think about that question. Phrase that question again. (laughs) Phrase it one more time. Exactly how you just phrased it. I had to really think about that question. Did I want to work at a coffee shop forever and drink myself to death? Or did I want to follow my dream and be happy? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's look at A for a second. And there's nothing wrong with working in a coffee shop the rest of your life. That's an awesome profession if you're a barista. But the second part of that question, drink myself to death, A, or B, follow my dreams and be happy. (laughs) (laughs) You had to think about that one. For a while yes. before arriving to a conclusion. And, and, and Kelsey, I'm not making fun of you because I was in the same boat, right? We've all, yeah. everybody listening to this podcast, whether you're sober or not, like you, you face that decision in your life and you know, you're 94 days away from it and you can look back at it and laugh because I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing with humor right now because we need it in oh, recovery. Yeah, 
you're like, whoa, that is just asinine of how blind I was to that question. And Kelsey, like, unfortunately, we are the lucky ones. Not everybody chooses B on that. They don't. Yeah. And so I got to say, nice job. And and, okay. And you chose B, right? So like, that's, 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 that's step 612 at a 4,058 steps. Just kidding. Made those numbers up. But like, that's just (laughs) a step of, of choosing B. How did you implement the decision to choose B? For me, once I make it, or at least within the last year, I feel like I've grown up some at least. But with, for me, once I make a decision, it's pretty easy for me to stay away from it. Like these past 94 days, I haven't been the one that struggles with cravings. I don't crave it. I think the only thought I ever have is I'm so young and I have to do this forever. But it hasn't been hard for me. I reflect a lot on how happy I am and how good it is to not wake up from a hangover and see bruises and wonder where I got them. I really reflect on that. I think for me, it's been really important to see the steps I've made. Even when I was drinking, I needed to really focus on how have I come a little bit further than I was? Because if I only look back on all the negative things, I will, I would still be drinking. So I have to look at, okay, Two years ago when I was still drinking, at least I wasn't drinking every time I got anxious. I got a little bit better. So for me, it's really important to look at every single positive in the journey versus just the negative. So I think that's really what helped me choose path B. I was like, okay, I've come a little bit. I can do this. I really can do this. Yeah, I love it. We're going to cover a couple things you just mentioned, but we're going to go back to the decision game. And I'm going to, I'm going to say an A and a B option. And just tell me after I say them both, which one feels better in the gut? Number one, A, Kelsey, I'd like you to stay sober for the rest of this podcast interview. That's A. And then B, Kelsey, I'd like you to stay sober for the rest of your life. Which one feels better? A okay. feels better. That's kind of a trick question, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you see what I'm getting it at. Feels better. It feels better because I don't have to think too far in the future, but I want to be sober forever. But one day at a time is good. <laughs> there we go. That's what I was getting at. I realized after I phrased yeah. the question of like, oh, maybe she'll she'll probably pick B because that's going to feel better. Right. But the point is, is you're right. That's a pitfall that I see in the cafe RE groups that's posted. I see, you know, I personally witnessed it. And if I even think at my wedding that I'm not going to drink champagne, I'm like, whoa, you know, hopefully I won't, but it's too far away. Don't even know if it's going to happen yeah, exactly. when it is, if ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you mentioned... You know, we need to let the past die. We need to let it die hard. We need oh, yeah. to learn from the past. There's, there's, there's pivotal experiences in the past that can help us make better decisions in the future. Definitely reference that part. But the past, we need to let it die because it's just that. It's behind us. It's no longer with us. And you mentioned you, you did right. just that. And how, I mean, saying it's easier than doing it. How have you been able to successfully do it? So, like, for example, if I walk around my house, little things will remind me of a time that I was just plastered. And I'm like, okay, well, think about a time that I wasn't. So I have to paint a new picture in my head with that specific spot in the house. Let's say it's the bed or the couch. So just painting a new picture when you immediately think about a bad one. Because if I walked around my whole house, I can think of a drunk moment in every spot in the house. So just painting a new picture. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And so what was it like when, when you first quit? What was the first week like, the first day, the first 72 hours? What was it like and how did you do it? The first 24 hours is pretty rough just because your body feels really bad. You keep thinking, am I ever going to feel better mentally because you're just feeling guilty and 
anxious. So that first day is pretty hard. The second day gets a little bit better. You're feeling a little bit more optimistic about the future. The third day I felt even better because I was starting to get my plan in my head for how I'm going to stay sober. And then the next week it just gets easier and easier as the week goes by when you start to go, when you start implementing the plan, when you start to go to those AA meetings and you start to meet people. And then nowadays I feel great. I don't necessarily feel the pink cloud, but I feel good and I feel confident in myself as I am right now. And I'm just happy that I don't obsess over drinking anymore. I don't have cravings. Luckily, I'm very happy for that. So it just every day gets a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. Every day does get a little bit better. And, and what are you, what are your thoughts on relapse? It's a it's a hard one. I know that it's there. I don't want to ever say to myself, I will never relapse because that's the issue that I had in the past is I won't relapse. I can do this. I've got this. It's there. It's always a possibility because that's how my brain is. I am a recovering alcoholic, so it's always a possibility. But standing in the face of it and saying, I will try not to do it. I will try my best today. I will try my best. And that's what matters. But I think that if you do relapse, it's okay. And you have to, like my boyfriend in the past has said, the thing about your one day relapse is the next day you start drinking again because you feel guilty. But just talk to me. If you feel bad about it, talk to me about feeling bad about it. And that's what I was never good at. I was never good at actually talking about it the next day. I was like, I'll just drink and forget about it. So I think trying your best to talk about it, it's easier said than done. Well, your boyfriend sounds like a cool dude because you just hit on something big right there. Is uh, yeah, yeah. A, a relapse is it's, it's a whoopsie daisy, right? It was a huge part of my right. story, but a lot of the wreckage and aftermath could have been avoided with just what you said. Is you know the relapse is, is it is what it is, but the next day we you know our own minds, our ego jumps in with the shame and the self loathing and says we are not worth it. We need to keep this this pity party going. You know, there's, there is a thing called harm reduction, right? If we, if we relapse, that yeah. sucks, learn from it, but all that sobriety time, if you're no continuous sobriety time, you got to start over, but that sobriety time it's, it's logged permanently with harm reduction. It basically says the wheels don't have to completely fly off. Um, and loving yourself through the process of a relapse is hard to do, but it's imperative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how, how have you addressed self-loathing and recovery? I'm talking more than I used to. I'm not very much of a talker. I don't like to talk about my feelings. I just have never been that way. I've been hurt with dad and stepdad leaving in the past. I've just been a very to myself type of person. So in recovery, I've really had to learn to say, hey, I'm really feeling pretty bad today. Just talk to me. Like I recently I went to New York with my mom and I usually used to drink on trips. And so I was triggered and I was feeling really bad. I didn't want to drink. I just was feeling bad. And so I called my boyfriend. I said, I'm feeling bad. And I think it's because I'm triggered about the times when I used to drink on trips. And I don't know why I feel bad. And that was a huge step for me because that is so hard for me to do. And I never used to do that in the past. And I think that alone saved me a little bit each day from relapse. If I just say, I'm feeling bad, I don't know why I'm triggered. Kelsey, that's that's huge. Even though you'd like yeah. to finish the thought pattern of figuring out why you felt relapsed, but the first half of it is, is is tremendous progress. You're breaking patterns, you know, in the unconscious brain that you've you've had with you for years. Like you simply just recognizing and saying, "Look, I don't know why I feel bad, but I'm going to call somebody and tell them that I feel bad and talk it out that yeah. way." Yeah, that's that's the goal of becoming a self-regulating adult. Nice job. That's huge. Thank you. 
Yeah, and, and more on the feeling note, what is something you're feeling, your heart's telling you, and you might not feel it right now, but it's there, that that you need to work on in in recovery? And where are you going to go? How are you going to get day 95? I think I'm usually fine with not drinking, but sometimes when I go out and other people are drinking, it's just I wish I could be normal. So just trying to be a little less negative because then I start the thought pattern like, oh, you're an alcoholic, you can't control your drinking and give you all the reasons why. But just trying to be better about it's okay to not drink. You're not the only one that doesn't drink. So it's just being okay with that, I think, is how I would get to 95. Yeah, just I think the key word there is acceptance. Yeah, and it's yes. acceptance in that situation, in the social situations, acceptance of things you can't control. That's huge. That's huge, and that's cool you recognize yeah. that. And going back a little bit, Kelsey, is there something you would have done differently in, in your journey, whether, you know, from A, day one of sobriety, but, you know, be like a little bit before you got sober? Oh, well, definitely the fake ID was not a good option when I was 20 because it obviously <laughs> led me down a bad path. But I think giving therapy more of a chance and just giving things more time. I am in that culture of wanting results really fast and just being okay with results not coming fast, especially in sobriety because they don't come fast. So being okay with the slow journey and just taking it as it comes. You mean being in that culture, like the 2018, just modern culture of wanting things to happen right now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you and me both, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and what have you learned most about yourself these last 94 days? I think it's that I can handle a lot more than I thought I could in the past. Like, I, I used to think I was so, so anxious, but I think a lot of the time when I was recovering from my binges, I just was anxious because of the alcohol. So now being away from it, I'm definitely not near as anxious or stressed out as I used to be. I actually handle stress really well and dealing with stressful situations or any of my customers that have bad opinions about the clothing or anything. I just, I deal with that really, really well. And I want to give myself credit for that, for being able to do that. Cause I just never thought I could do that in the past. Cool. And yeah, I had no idea you had a clothing company, but uh, what is that? And do you sell yeah. do you sell clothes online? I do. Yeah, I have a website, and then I do handmade markets here and there. But my website is what I do mostly. I do women's and children's clothing, and everything's handmade to order. So that's a it's, that's a lot of fun. That is my baby. <laughs> What's the website? It's ksgarner.com. dot com. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun. That's that's great. That is fantastic. And and Kelsey. Have you heard of the pink cloud? I have, yes. Would you say you're or in that pink cloud phase? I don't know. I go back and forth if I am because, like I said, if I go out or my boyfriend still drinks here and there. So if he drinks, sometimes I can feel myself getting mad like for no reason. No one's doing anything to me, but I'm just mad that they can drink and I can't. So I don't know if that's the pink cloud because I, I still really feel that when I see people drinking or if I go out and I can't drink. So I don't know if I'm overly happy all the time about my whole sobriety. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't think I've heard the word anger and pink cloud in the, in the same sentence, so that might not be <laughs> the pink cloud, but it's it's different for everybody. It, it, it is. So, right. Yeah, just, just wondering if that's something you've experienced, because I know, I know a lot of listeners have questions about the pink cloud. Some people are flying high on it, and some people don't. You know, and it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It, it sounds like, you know, you might not be on the pink cloud, 
but you're, you're able to face, you've got 94 days of sobriety without the pink cloud, which is huge. So a lot yeah. of people, when the pink cloud ends and that, that, that cloud popped for me around, around eight to 10 months, both times, I kind of came like crash landing back to earth and it was tough. It was really hard. So there's kind of yeah. pros and cons to each side of it. Yeah. When, and Kelsey, we've reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within awesome. 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Kelsey, what was your worst memory from drinking? Probably the moment I had to go to the ER when I thought I might die because I was having withdrawal. Yeah, we've all heard that aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating you can't control your drinking? Ooh, that is a hard one. Probably when you're blacking out with only three drinks. When it starts to get many, many more blackouts. Yep. Love it. Love it. And uh, next question, Kelsey, I know we just commented on what's your plan in sobriety moving forward. You just, just answered that a little bit, but are, are you going to move forward with any specific programs or communities like AA or smart recovery, anything like that? Yeah, I've been going to AA here and there. I don't go as much as I should because I'm very busy, but I would like to go more because I like the sense of community there. Cause I think I feel good doing it on my own, but it would just help so much more to have someone there that understands my story. So I think that, and then this podcast has been a blessing because I drive 30 minutes to work each way and I can listen to it on my way. So this is such a good thing for me every single day. Well, thank you very much for listening, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? I would say the podcast, just being such a busy person and I can do this on my way to work when I don't have anything else to do. Otherwise it's been really, really great. So this definitely has to be number one. And then I still go on the moderation management website, not to follow their program, but because they have a Wednesday online chat where you can talk to people that are actually sober. It's only for sober people. So I like that a lot too. It's nice. Cause then I'm not, I don't always have time for a meeting, but it feels like a meeting. Gotcha. That does sound, that sounds neat. And in regards to sobriety, yeah. Kelsey, what's the best advice you've ever received? It is from a lady in AA that had 45 years of sobriety, and she said there is no gold medal in sobriety. It's you always have to keep trying, and that's the hardest thing for people is you want it to be done and you want to get to the finish line, but you always have to keep running. And on the flip side of that, I've done a podcast episode on the three most dangerous words an alcoholic can say are, I got this, in referring to, I got right. my gold medal. And that's when they use exactly. yeah, cue wheels flying off directly afterward. And Kelsey, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or are thinking about quitting drinking? That alcohol does not define you. And I know that's hard in the first couple of days, but you are so much more than alcohol. You may have an issue with it, but you have so much more than that. And just keep going. You've got this. I love it. And before we depart, Kelsey, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line. Ooh, you might be an alcoholic if your boyfriend's niece points to a white claw and says, that's Kelsey's drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Good stuff. Kelsey, thank you so yeah. much for joining us on the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Guys, I've got really good news. We're good. I'm good and you're good. Not because it's summertime and we can be outside and do all kinds of fun activities, hiking, biking, pools and stuff like that. Not because I've got an awesome trip planned to Peru with other like-minded individuals, the recovery elevator retreat coming this October. That has nothing to do with that. Not because I've logged some certain amount of sobriety time it has nothing to do with that. We're good because just that we are good. 
okay, if Netflix brought Sunny in Philadelphia back, I might be a little more good than just good, but you get the point. At this very moment on July 23rd, we're good. A small continuation on the topic of fear that I just covered is the future events. There's these milestones, these achievements that we tell ourselves that we need to hit in order to feel a certain way. But guys, we're good. We are good right now. Goals are fantastic, but watch out when you say something like, once I get a week of sobriety, once I hit nine months, once I hit one year, then I will be good. Those statements don't do any good. I mean, think about it. I used to personally say those statements to myself my entire life. And all that is, is saying that at some point in the future, I'll be good. But in reality, guys, at this moment, we're good. Just the way we are. Even statements like, God, I hope this third degree sunburn goes away, can be dangerous. Because that's saying you're going to be good in the future. But even with a third degree sunburn, you're good right now. I'm good right now. We all deserve it and we're all worth it. And no, I'm not talking directly to millennials right now. We are all good just the way we are. Love yourself. Love your fears. Love your problems. We can do this. <laughs>